Vaginas are absolute magic. And Ali is here to give them the respect they deserve. That means shame-free supplements made with clinically studied ingredients to keep your pH in check. And your pleasure a priority. Put yourself on top. Go to Ollie.com today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Undeniably Dairy. Dairy farmers are more than farmers. They're climate caretakers. They see water as a precious resource. Most farmers recycle water up to four times, from chilling the milk to irrigating the crops. And some even use technology to turn manure into renewable energy. To learn more about what dairy farmers are doing to make their farms more sustainable, visit usdairy.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Oh Crap Potty Training Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Glowacki. I am the author of Oh Crap Potty Training and Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Today, I am introducing Jenna from England, which is always fun when I work with somebody either from New Zealand, Australia, or England. I am a horrible mimic, Jenna. And what happens is by the end of the conversation, I may take on your English accent. (laughs) I might do the same, actually. I'm really bad at that too. So we'll just swap roles. Sometimes when I used to wait tables... I would end up like talking like people. And I was like, I'm not mocking you. I just <laughs> So Jenna's going to share her potty training story. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you. Let's start with how many kids do you have? I have two daughters, Ada. She is three and a half. And I have Cora. She is one and a half. All right. And whose story are we telling today? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, just Ada for now. I have to say we have not started with Cora yet. That'd be a pretty good story, though. <laughs> Cora needs to know what's coming. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, her parents are in a lot better shape mentally to, to tackle it. So I anticipate a much smoother journey. Awesome. Why don't you jump in and let us know how it went? Gosh, where do I start? I mean, with Ada, we both work mostly sort of in the house, but she goes to, well, in the States, you call it daycare. We call it nursery here, five days a week. And we also tackled it for the first time when I was pregnant okay. with my second, which is, I'm sure, a situation that a lot of parents find themselves in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we just we didn't do the work we didn't do the research so we were like so you jumped in and you hadn't had my book or nope nope we were just like oh you know people do it all the time nursery were like (laughs) yeah exactly um nursery were like oh yeah all you need to do is pop her on the potty every sort of 20 30 minutes and uh when she does a pee like you know just make a big deal clap all that Started so simple. You know, it was a lovely <laughs> summer. She could go be naked. Oh my gosh, it was a disaster. Like, just massive standoff. She turned into a camel. My husband, I was up in bed because I was so pregnant and so ill. But he was like, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to crack this. I'm going to do it. It was super hot. And um, yeah, unsurprisingly, since I read your book and I've actually gone through this now, she was just really pissed off. He's like, what are you doing? I'm playing. Why? Why? I don't want to go sit on that. How old was she when you started? She was two, like pretty much bang on two. Okay. So she she got it. Like she's very verbal and talks and yeah, but she just she just clammed up, and it ended in a six hour standoff between her and my husband, where basically she just held it in. She mm-hmm. just held it in and held it in, and then he turned his back for like maybe two seconds to get something, and she went behind the couch. She peed everywhere, like mm-hmm. just let it all out. And he was like, I am so done. I'm 
I can't do this. I can't do this. So we just took a break and revisited it. You know, I did the thing that that we all do as mums, don't we? Is I talked to other mums and and parents and I said, hey, you've potty trained your child. What advice have you got? Well, and I tell you what, Jamie, your book came up. You're international. You go, you've gone, you've gone global. Like that, Oh, my book's been translated into 17 languages. I'm not yeah. surprised. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it's so unique out there. And so there were so many parents who were like, you just got to get the book. It's like a Bible of potty training. So I read it, I ripped through it and I gave it to my husband. I was like, this makes so much sense. <laughs> and he read it too. And he was like, oh my God. Yeah. It makes so much sense. The resistance, everything. So we just were like, right, we're going to, we're well, going to feel confident. Good too, knowing that I always find that parents are so shocked. We hear both horror stories and like abnormal success stories about potty training. And so I find that at least I feel really good that my book prepares you for some of the things like, yeah, there can be resistance in that you didn't fuck it up. You didn't make it. You know what I mean? Like you're not a terrible parent. Like some kids just resist this milestone and you know, that must've been like, Oh God, (laughs) we still got a shot at this. Absolutely. So no, it was very, very encouraging to read the book and we felt prepared. We mentally prepared and we physically prepared. We physically prepared in July with buying the potty and, you know, preparing Mm -hmm. the room, getting rid of all the rugs, but we hadn't really mentally prepared. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the thing that your book kind of helped us do. And yeah, I think interestingly, I was potty trained super, super young, you know, like about one, which nowadays is, yeah, even more unusual. And I think that sort of just stuck around. It must have stuck around in me. And so I think as well, I was just putting a lot of my own expectations and I wouldn't quite call it trauma, but probably linked around just this is a big deal. This is a big deal. When, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yes, of course it's a big deal, but it's also just a part of life. It's also not. Yes, I know. It's got to be done and it is a big deal, but it's like nobody gets out unscathed by some aspect of parenting. You know what I mean? Whether it's potty training or sleep, you know, you get a break where other parents don't and some kids just struggle. And I feel like too, one of the things about potty training that I say in the book, it's the first learning curve that's really linear. And I think what you start to learn, what Aid is going to teach you about Cora is that our kids are going to struggle in something. And when you start going to school and learning to ride a bike and learning these other harder skills, right? You start to realize, wow, my kid sucks at reading. And then you're crushed about that. You know what I mean? So your kid is going to suck at something. And unfortunately, some kids suck at potty training, you know, <laughs> but it's like not indicative of not being ready. It's not indicative of your parenting. And that's so true because up until that stage, we really hadn't struggled with anything. Like she was a great sleeper. You know, she was pretty good at the weaning journey. Like this is our, this is our kind of Mecca. Like, yeah. And you know Mountain what it's decline. funny, Jenna, people will say that to me. No, no, no. You don't understand this kid's an angel. Potty training brought out the <laughs> devil. And I'll be like, I know, but the devil's there. The devil's going to come out <laughs> at some point. Like I just got to warn you. <laughs> I mean, interestingly, like when we approached it with the book and we had the plan, we took a day off work, both of us. I know you don't say, you know, it's a three-day method. It's three blocks. And we were completely prepared for there being blocks. We weren't expecting to like, but actually it kind of just, it kind of just did happen a block a day for yeah. us. And that was great. And the thing that I'd, I'd also remember about that time is that we were just a bit petrified of like, how are we going to keep her occupied? 
I know it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Like, but how are we going to be with our child? Just mind, body, spirit the whole day. What are we going to do? And you know what? Like, it was a really great day. Like, I still have memories of that first day. Like, we did silly stuff like dressing up and we baked cookies with her butt naked from the (laughs) waist down. (laughs) And she just got it. And we had such a great day. She did some weave and, and even a poo in the potty as well. And it's so funny because when we put her to bed, my husband came back downstairs and the first thing we did, to, did and we didn't say anything, we hadn't kind of done any progress checks through the day. We'd just been present. We just did this massive high five because we <laughs> felt like, it. we just felt like heroes. And we also felt like a team. Yes. It sounds like you were a team. A real kudos to your husband. I don't know if you listen to my other podcast, but I've done a series now on the mental load of moms. Oh yeah. Compared to dads. And I get some dads complaining that my book is written for moms and dads are showing up. But I find that a large majority, unfortunately, about 90% of moms who get my book, the dads don't read the book. So I'm really glad that he jumped in and any dads out there who might be listening. I love that you're jumping in. What do you think changed? Now, when you were telling me the first time you went around, first of all, I was like, oh, every 20, 30 minutes is too soon. Was that a major factor? You think that you put some time pressure? Yeah, I was just, we just like not trusting her. And we were also kind of a bit scared of the pee. Yeah. We were a bit yeah. scared of her peeing on the floor. And it's like, once we kind of got over that, and when I say we, it's probably more me. <laughs> once I kind of got over that, yeah, my husband put it really well. And he was like, but accidents happen. That's part of learning. I was like, I was trying so hard to like prevent the accidents. No, but that's part of this. Yeah, that, and that's a big and thing. And it's not an I accident. Think- Right. It's a learning curve. And I think that is some a, a huge barrier for people, especially especially in the last couple of years after everybody became germaphobes because of the pandemic. It's just like high strung kids puke, dogs puke, like there's <laughs> things happen to your floor, you know. But I also think that, like you said, it's a real barrier these days, that first day of not what are we going to do? What am I going to do with this kid all day long? And we've gotten so used to activities and these crutches that like, it is really, it can be such a great day where you reconnect with your kid. Yeah, I know. And I, I feel that for people, particularly when you've got a child who's, yeah, in daycare a lot, it can feel a bit daunting because it's not like the weekend because with the weekend, you can go to the park, you can go, right. you know, see some other people, but you're just in, it's like, yeah, I wonder if it's sort of back to like the COVID times when you're just like in lockdown, but it's different because you have that space, you're creating that space to play and to right. be. So it it really wasn't, yeah, it really wasn't. You bring up an interesting point. So much, there were so many reverbs of the pandemic that I see in my work with the kids and the parents. And I I really hadn't thought of like, I wonder if there's a level of PTSD when I say stay home with your kids and people are like, Mm. no, (laughs) I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I never even thought of that. And how did you manage your expectations. So knowing you were potty trained early. Now, do you feel you were traumatized by that? We did talk about it, my mother and I, and she says like, if she could go back and redo it, she wouldn't have introduced it so early. And the reason that she did, and she she did admit this to me, she was like, it's because another mom said, my kid's potty trained. She had no kind of intention of potty training me that early. But the minute she heard that, she was like, oh, am I behind the curve? Should, Should my child be potty trained? And so she did. But then she said she basically lived on a constant anxiety stream of where's the nearest public restroom for like most of my toddlerhood, even though like I was was very good at it and I got it very quickly (laughs) and she didn't even night train me. It all kind of happened. So she makes it both sound like something that was super easy, but then also I think did leave her with 
quite a task on our hands. Yeah, maybe there was a lot of focus for you, like, you know, that maybe you should have not been focused on. I mean, just to let you guys know, there is a thing called elimination communication. You can potty train kids from infancy. The onus is on you, the parent, a lot more and recognizing their cues. And I have worked Mm. with quite a few Vietnamese people who say their grandmother, the way they used to potty train was like making a sound, like a whistle when the kid okay. when they yeah. were little. So then they could kind of, it was like a Pavlovian response when they whistled. Mm. So there's all kinds of ways to do it, but it sounds like your mom probably had to focus a lot on it. And that's no fun when you're obsessed, you know, <laughs> giving, giving, giving your attention to it. Yeah. Where the, where, it's like, where's the nearest fire exit? Where's the nearest toilet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I pee a lot. So I know where all the toilets are. Okay. <laughs> when I was pregnant, I was pregnant in San Francisco and I knew every like two blocks where I could go to the bathroom. <laughs> And so how did it go after that first day? It went really textbook. We did a stage a day and, you know, the next day we put some really loose jogging bottoms on her and she was pulling them down, going to the toilet herself or rather, which is, yeah, she was nailing it. We even went to the pub on the third day. I remember being out with some of our parent friends with younger kids. So we were the first who were doing this sort of milestone. They're like, oh, you're so brave. It's day three and you're, you're in the pub. Yeah. So um, that was, that was interesting. But so, yeah, because so that- I'm a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just because I really need my wine. So potty training isn't going to get in the way. <laughs> so the, the we and the kind of reintegrating into daycare as well on, on the Monday, that all went pretty smooth. Then we hit the roadblock and that was the poop. Ah, uh, freaking poop. Yeah. So what was the roadblock? Withholding. Okay. Just, yeah. Didn't want to do it on the potty. Was she, did you guys do night and nap at the same time? Was she wearing a night diaper? Yes, she was. But also, I think she's been a withholder from birth. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Because like, even though she was breastfed exclusively for six months of her life and then mixed with formula and weaning, you know, this sort of six to to one year stage, even when she was a teeny tiny baby, like she didn't poop every day. She just didn't. That is interesting because a lot of people, for a lot of people, withholding is spurred by potty training because it's a muscular Mm. reaction to anxiety. But I do work with some infants who are withholding because all it takes is one painful poop and those anus muscles, they're so sensitive. They're the most emotional part of our body, believe it or not. And they'll just start to clench. They're like, no, I'm all set. I don't need to poop, you know? And it's not the child's mind. It's the body. But how did you guys fix it? Well, we, um, how did we fix it? We... Bought the poop solutions. <laughs> you got my poop and I feel like I'm oh, a big advert for yeah. you. Like, we, 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 we bought them all, Jamie. We got yeah. the poop solutions, the night solutions. The, That's awesome. The, <laughs> but it took longer, as you say, as you say in the solution. It takes time yeah. and patience. And we did the suppository protocol, which once I heard about it and it all made sense to me, but I was still a bit nervous about it. Also in the UK, we don't have the same drugs that you do in the US. So we had to kind of go on a bit of a search to find out what would the UK equivalent be. And so we found glycerin suppositories just off Amazon, but they're hard. They're like pellets, they're like gel pellets. Yeah. Yeah. Which actually, you know, whilst it was at least a bit more definitive. So once it's in there, you know, it's in there. But it was, I remember talking to some friends at the time and I remember them saying, oh, isn't that just a bit extreme? Like, you know, don't you think she just needs time? Yeah, we did give her a bit of time to adjust. Yeah, I just knew as a mom, I, I was observing my child and I knew that she had anxiety about it and mm. that it was a muscular reaction to that anxiety. And so I just sort of knew that 
if anything, I felt like it would be cruel. I felt it would be cruel to let her continue the mm-hmm. way that she, because she was so upset once she actually did poop in her pants, mm-hmm. you know, and she usually do it like on a walk when she was out with her. She's going to love, she's going to, I hope this like podcast stays in, in memoriam because she's going <laughs> to come back to me and be like, mom, you talked about my poop. by the time she wants to listen to a podcast like this she won't care (laughs) she'll probably have kids of her own she'll be like yeah mom we talk about poop all the time (laughs) but yeah that's what needed to be done but I think that there's still and I'd be interested to hear if you find this with your with your work Jamie and other clients is like I think people just have a real aversion to it yes people have a real aversion to it and it feels extreme, which is very funny to me because people will come to me that have been on Miralax since birth, Restorelax for you guys mm. in the UK. And there are side effects to Miralax. And so I'm like, you have no problem with that. I think especially, well, especially in America. I mean, if you put something up your butt, like people have a, it's just a weird thing, you know? Whereas like in the Netherlands, that's how they give mm. all the medicine. So when I work with somebody in the Netherlands, they're like, oh yeah, no problem. For me, it's funny because I don't know if Ada did this, but I also think it's cruel because I get withholders who are, the withholding sort of takes over their body. So they cannot play. Sometimes they can't eat. They're very lethargic or escalating. And I feel like it's cruel. We're taking hours away from their childhood. They're not being a two or three-year-old or even four-year-old. A lot of parents think they're doing it consciously, but their Mm -hmm. body is sort of taken over. And this isn't fair. It's a medicine. It's an over-the-counter medicine here. And that's why we use over-the-counter medicines, you know, and out of all the medicines you could use, the glycerin has no side effects. So I feel like, okay, this is just a better solution. And for anybody listening, I say this whenever we talk about the pooping solutions course is please, if you haven't gotten the course, get the course. Cause Mm. you'll hear us talk about suppositories and you'll be like, oh, hell no. Or you'll think you know what to do and you'll use it wrong. There is a protocol and there's a whole plan. So make sure that you get the course. Don't wing it because you hear us talking about suppositories. Definitely would second that. Yeah. But I do think, like like you said, like it's cruel having her poop her pants when she thinks she can be a big girl and knowing it's not her fault. She's not trying to drive you crazy. She's not limit testing. And I just love, Jenna, that you said, I knew as a mom. The biggest thing in my work is bringing moms in particular back to their intuition. Dads, I feel like they don't have the bullshit of motherhood, so they can lock into their parental intuition a little easier, or they're kind of skating above it. Whereas moms, we know the amount of people come to me and say, my pediatrician said not to worry about it, but I'm worried about it. I'm like, no, you're right to be worried about it. You know what I mean? So I just want to congratulate you on like, I love that sentence. I knew, I knew something was, was wrong. So, cause I'm sure there are lots of other things. There are lots of other things with kids that you just think to yourself, ah, oh, they just need a bit of time. Like, you know, yeah. just, it's a bit new to them, yep. but I could just see it in her face. I could see it in her body. She needed help and yes. she didn't know how to help herself. Yep, so I love it. yes, it might seem a bit extreme to some, but actually when you, when you listen to the course, when you understand the biology of it, the physiology of it, as you say, it makes and that was the thing and no one else could really offer up any other advice apart from just she'll get the hang of it yeah which and the, and, yeah. you know it's that that's my freaking rally cry because the problem is once those sphincter muscles start to grip it gets worse so this only gets worse i never see it just sort of resolve you know maybe the first couple of days a kid won't poop but once we're looking at like you could tell there was anxiety in her body that's not a matter of getting it. Yeah. And I, I like it. I love the reason I use suppositories as the main, main protocol is that 
there's the sensation to have to go poop. The anus opens because of the glycerin and then you get to, you get to poop. So it's this like truncated instead of having the feeling, not doing anything, not doing anything, not doing anything, pooping in your pants. (laughs) Yeah. And actually you just reminded me that those sphincter muscles were really tight because I remember like we gave one suppository and, you know, we'd wait an hour and like nothing, give a second one. And even the second one, it would take a bit of time. So, you, yeah. you know, we really had to kind of have faith in it. But over time, it just sort of became less and less. And I think the other thing that made a big difference is that once I started to see it was improving and helping her, I think I also kind of let go. Because I kid you not, I was dreaming about poop. I was waking yes. up in the middle of the night <laughs> yes. with nightmares, visions of her kind of, yeah, like, I think I, I myself was holding on to a lot of anxiety and trauma and stuff. And so the minute I kind of started to let that go a bit and just be like, no, we're doing, we're doing all we can for her, have faith, trust in the process, it will happen. It started to happen. And then things just yes. Oh, I love that you said that too, because I talk about this so much, but till you're in it, it's hard to see <sighs> your emotional state leads the show. And so if you're anxious, and that's what I say about poop, it's like the first couple of days, if you don't get a poop, keep calm. Because we as moms start to go up in pitch, we start to get nervous, and it just creates more anxiety for the child. And I always relay it back. I don't know if you have pets, but I have a dog. And just recently, I had to fly cross country for a funeral. And my dog, I hadn't even pulled out a suitcase. And my dog knew. I was moving with a different sense of purpose. There was something about me. My dog got all of a sudden needy. Like he knew that we were going somewhere. And so kids are the same way. They don't have all the words. So they're really reliant on like, what's happening? What's happening? Oh, okay. Mom's stressed out. I'm going to be stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. I think like looking back on it and even at the time, it just sort of, it just made so much sense that she was feeding off of my anxiety about this situation. Definitely. Yeah. And I tell parents all the time, I'm like, listen, very often the reason I even made the Pooping Solutions course was because I was spending so much time with private clients, laying it out, saying the things, and they all thought I had some sort of magic words. And then I didn't. So I was like, dude, you got to take this course first because I can't spend hours saying the same thing over and over again and arguing about it. So, you know, when I have parents who are a little reticent about the suppository, I'm like, hey, listen you don't even know how much you're thinking about poop. You don't even know how much it's on your mind. Trust me, when you get this poop out first thing in the morning and you have the rest of the day to just love your kid, you're going to be amazed. And that's the number one response I get because what happens is in these really dramatic cases, the parents tend to not like their kid. We always love our kids to the moon and the back, but you start feeling like resentful. You're cleaning poop. You're thinking about poop. All the, You know what I mean? And I say, I used to live in San Francisco. Parking was an issue. Parking was on your brain a hundred percent of the time. And then I moved to Rhode Island where like, there's so much street parking, you're sure you're going to get arrested. And I was like, like the amount of headspace that parking had taken up, I had no idea. And I'm like, it's that way for poop for you guys. (laughs) For sure. And then once it's gone, you're like, oh, I've got all this like freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Free headspace, right? Oh my God. That's awesome. So now she's doing great. Well, I mean, like we, I think she's just one of those, those kids who just doesn't, yeah, doesn't poop as much, but she's not anxious about it. Like yeah. we're not anxious about it. Interestingly, she always tends to do it in the evening, but she's okay. not a morning pooper. And it's just interesting to sort of see how 
different human beings are, mm-hmm. you know, different. But yeah, it's like not, it's just, I mean, her favorite thing to do now is she's like, uh, I need a book. And she like gets her book and then she goes oh, over to her potty. Doesn't, yeah. So it's just, it's just not a big deal anymore. Although, yeah, she's not as your textbook regular in the sure. morning, every day kind of girl. The night training we did, oh, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, probably when she was about, we started it when she was like three and a bit. Yep. And again, if I was to go back, I would have tackled both at the same time. Yeah. But it is, I get it. It's daunting. It is. It's very daunting. And that's, that's why I separated. I also think it's, it's way too hard if both parents work outside the home. You know, Mm. typically if we have some parents staying home, the mom or dad can sleep in a, I don't know. It's just a little bit easier not to have to go to work or the exhaustion. I think just working outside the home, coming home, the clusterfuck of dinner, you know, it just sets it. And then you have to wake up to do a wake up. I think it's just, it's really hard for a lot of people. And then with daycare and or nursery. So I understand that it's daunting. It's a little more hellacious and, and who knows, maybe your instincts were just like, maybe Ada would have resisted more. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, it's, you never know. That's the thing. You, you never, never know. know. But you just got to tread the path that you've, you've carved. Yeah. So we sort of tackled it. Interestingly, we kind of timed it in with moving her out of her cot and into like a floor mm-hmm. bed. Floor beds are great. Big shout out for floor beds. Yep, we put the potty that. in her room. You know, we did the the 2 a.m. and the 10, a, uh, 10 p.m. Done that the wrong way around, but you know what I mean, yeah. twice a night. <laughs> and then we kind of, yeah, scooted it to finding out where her pattern, if there kind of, you could say that there is one. Um, got it down to one a night. And I remember, you know, you you saying in the, in the night solutions course and then also in the book, there's no set time when you stop doing those those night wakings and and you'll just kind of either you'll know or you'll just kind of can't do this anymore (laughs) yeah 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 and I think we kind of reached that point after about three weeks it was okay it was sort of you know like there'll be some dry days and some dry nights and some not but the interesting thing about the night training journey is pretty soon after we sort of started the night training she got into this habit of peeing before she fell asleep So we would tuck her in, you know, she'd had a good wee on the toilet before she'd gone to tuck her in to have a story, put the lights out, shut the door, potty's in the room, but she's got a nightlight. So, you know, the potty's mm-hmm. there. She haven't had an accident, a wee accident in, you know, a year or something. Once. And then you'd hear this little voice, can somebody help me? Can somebody help me, please? And then you'd rope light. And then you'd go upstairs. <laughs> and yeah, she'd wet the bed. And we'd be like, hey there, like, why, why are you wet the you just had a wee, like there's a potty right there, like next to the bed. Why? And she just, you know, just sort of giggle or kind of, you know, do that thing where they're, they know that they shouldn't, but they're kind of embarrassed, but they sort of just yeah, right. strip the bed and didn't want this and just kept on going on. Just like, oh, I just can't get to the bottom of this. And then one day I just had a, I just had a been after listening to one of your podcasts, to be honest. I can't remember <laughs> the one, but it was just about respect mm-hmm. and like treating Yes, they're a child and you need to guide them and things, but they are the masters of their own bodies. And she's very verbal and like we, you know, she she has thoughts and right. can express them. So I just sort of sat down with her and I was like, Hey, I really want to understand why you're wetting the bed before you fall asleep. I just want to understand. I didn't kind of say like, Oh, we need to fix it. And right, like, right. Yeah. I, like I, just like, I, just, I just want to understand. And she said, I'm a big girl. I'm a big girl. I, I don't use the potty. I use the toilet. But we shut the door. 
Because uh-huh. we were thinking to ourselves, well, and I'd said this before and then when I went up and she'd wet the bed, I was like, Ada, you're a big girl. You know, you don't wet the bed. You use the potty. But for her, being a big girl is I use the toilet now. Right, right, right. Why are you locking me in this room with this potty? Right. And that so, is brilliant because I would have assumed it was just to get you back in the room. I think it was a bit as well, but it was about freedom. And yes. so we left. The, so I said, okay, we'll leave the door open then. Yes. We'll leave the door open. We'll get rid of the potty and you can go and pee in the toilet if you want to. So we did that. And sure as enough, you know, we went down the stairs after tucking her in, door open, and you could hear her scurry. To the mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't actually need a wee. She'd just done one. But it's like this. And I remember this from when I was a kid, like you kind of falling asleep, you're starting to relax. And then you're like, oh, mm-hmm. and then you kind of. Yeah. But she had the freedom to do that. But it was just an interesting journey because we did also try, you know, the she's just doing it for attention. We're going to tell her we're not coming back up. And yeah, it didn't really work. So I'm writing this down because help me understand maybe my new favorite phrase. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I think too, and I try to say this to clients, sometimes we don't realize when we have to say the obvious, like, obviously, if you really want to use the toilet, ask me to use the toilet and I'll leave the door open or open your door and go use the toilet, right? But sometimes we have to say these things. And I always tell this story early on in my career, I was working with a dad and his son and the kid just kept like pooping his pants. And we had tried everything. And I said, you know, you got to have a man-to-man talk with him here, you know, get down on his level, a couple of fist bumps. And so the guy gets down on his son's level and he's like, buddy, we got to deal with this pooping in your pants issue. Now, like when you sit to poop and the kid stops him and goes, what, you have to sit to poop? Oh, <laughs> like, and I, it was so funny because the dad had potty trained him. So he started peeing standing up right away, which I don't usually recommend, but whatever. Just didn't get that he had to sit. Never mind that he's been in the bathroom with all the adults who sit and poop. You know, like sometimes we have to say the obvious thing, which is like, Ada, just open the door. (laughs) I mean, to be fair to her, our door handles are really high, so she can't open the door. But then equally, she wasn't sort of saying, can someone open the door, please, so I can go to the toilet? Right. And sometimes I find that just apologizing or, like you said, showing her that respect gives a kid, she could have just made that up on the spot, actually. and it gave her a graceful exit. And that's why sometimes I say, when we feel like we've screwed it up, just apologize because then the kids can say, oh, okay, it was just, you know, the monster under my bed made me pee my pants. It's gone now. You know, like it gives them a, whether it's made up or not, I don't care. But it sounds like your respect allowed her to be seen and heard. So It started the conversation, right? Which is what you want when you're kind of out of ideas, quite frankly. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Yeah, we come to it slow. I also wanted to circle back really quick because one thing when you said you went to the pub on day three, Mm. for anybody listening, whether you use my book or not, if you start and you know that you're in a clusterfuck, like you're just crying or there's no light, there's no light at the end of the tunnel and you feel like you have to reset. A lot of parents just buck. I put three days into this. I'm not giving up. I took a day off of work, but I really do think that... Everything you've taught marinates and the second time around is always so much easier. It's like the work was preloaded 
and then you lowered your expectations. There's certainly things we can do on the parental side, but the kids, like they keep what you've taught thus far in their head. And I'm convinced that not only getting my book, not only having a plan, not only lowering your expectations, Jenna, but, you know, Ada had a memory of what, the expectation. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. I think I can. T- I, I, in a way, I know it sounds really weird, but I'm kind of actually looking forward to potty training. My second, yeah. Now you have a plan. Got to tell you, second, second kids are YOLO kids. You only live once. They're kind of like give you the middle <laughs> finger. They're like, I can do what I want because I'm the second. <laughs> We're already seeing that. I have to say. So, and the other thing I would say with the night stuff is, it's just interesting having gone through all of the stages that we have. Even though she's still wetting the bed at night, probably I'd say about twice a week. It's not stressing me out. Right. And that's like, I think a key, and it's getting better, albeit incrementally. We're still on a journey with that. We haven't cracked that. Nighttiming's hard and it has to be done because if it's not done, I get six and seven-year-olds in nighttime diapers at night. So I think that's disrespectful to the child as well. So it's that, that is a really good point and something that I had totally forgotten about when we started this journey with the night training. I did, again, I did the the circle around the mums and sort of say like, you know, no one had attempted it. Mm -hmm. No one. I couldn't find, I think I had one, yeah, one friend of mine had, but she, she had been using um, reusable diapers the the kind of washing ones and she got to two and and she was like i'm done with these so she did the night training and the day at the same time but apart from that friend when ada was yeah just over three years old no one had tried it yeah and then interestingly when i talk to people about night training or just even like you know night nappies the people who were coming back to me were the ones who said oh it's just the biology thing like you just have to wait until the hormone kicks in or the people who had tried it said, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I just couldn't get any real life experience. So I had to kind of, yeah, I had to just kind of go for it. Yeah. You know, the hormone thing is the thing that got me to write the night training course because I kept hearing about the hormone thing. But here's the funny thing. Not one person could tell me what the hormone was. So I was like, okay, so who's, so then I go to pediatricians. I was like, what's the hormone thing? And actual doctors be like, I don't know. I heard that there's a hormone thing. Like I was like, how are doctors saying I heard there's a hormone thing? (laughs) Well, I was like, what the heck? So I downloaded some abstracts from the pediatric journal of urology, but I, I don't read medical speak. So then I had to hire some doctors to help me. And it turns out that it's the antidiuretic hormone, which when it's released makes us pee less at night, not stay dry necessarily, but pee less. And then I was like, oh, and it's linked to circadian rhythm. So if your circadian rhythm is off, so is that hormone release. And by far, this generation of kids is going to bed way too late. So the, the mm. first thing we fix with night training is an earlier bedtime by a lot. I mean, I have three-year-olds going to bed at nine o'clock and I'm like, oh, 6.30. Like 6.30 is a better time. So, and then a lot of times my work is helping the families manage time, like because both parents work, getting home, how do we do dinner? How do we get fluids in? And so we kind of craft schedules around that because what's happening, our parents are getting home too late. The kids are getting home too late. Dinner's too late. Bedtime's too late. And so that hormone's not being released. So it's not biology. It's that we have messed up our, our, there is a a touch of biology, but it's usually released with melatonin. It shouldn't be Mm. that kids, you know, if you're going to bed at nine, your melatonin's not being released either. So yeah, that's so that's like, a, I, I need to be in bed by nine as well. So like, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know this because my own circadian with them, I'm super sensitive. If I stay up, like I have 10 o'clock is my cutoff, 10, 15, very latest. But if I go to a party or something, I can't get to bed till two because mm. I just have reset. So yeah. 
And then I noticed too, in the wintertime, you hear the sunsets around 4.30 and I'm dead ass tired. Like I am ready to go to bed because of my melatonin's going with the sunshine. <laughs> and so I have to like get a full spectrum light to stay up at night. <laughs> That's really interesting about the circadian rhythm zone, the tiredness, because when I think back to it, like Ada dropped her daytime nap about a month ago. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, it's just made me kind of th- rethink, like she's, um, to use your word, tired, like, yeah. tired and wired you yeah. know, when she comes home from nursery. Yeah. So um, she might, when they give up the nap, you've got to really bump up bedtime by a lot because they need that sleep. Yeah. Mm. And you need not a three-year-old past her bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about parents, parental self-care after 630. <laughs> All right. Kitchen is closed. <laughs> right, exactly. Jenna, is there any like words of wisdom you'd leave mamas with? You've said so many great nuggets, you know, help me understand your intuition. I love like the journey. You keep calling it the night journey, the nursery journey. Like it is just such a journey. Are there any other words you'd give to moms if they came to you and they were like, what do I do? <laughs> I just say like, don't necessarily just do what everyone else is doing. It's great to kind of talk to other parents and hear their stories, their journeys, their experience, like, you know, do that, definitely. But don't feel the need that yours is has to be a carbon cut copy of because it's different. It's just a different path. And I'm like a research nut. I love to, you know, research the heck out of everything. But this whole potty training milestone or journey, as I like to call it, is really forced me to look inwards to trust gut and mix that with the best of the advice that you can get out there. So yeah, that would be the message that I would Yeah, send. that's and good luck. such a good it's, <laughs> Yeah, it's such a good point. Like and I, I try to I try to say that so much is like take my book as a guide and run it through your filter. Cause you know, and I think we get so close, we have our friend groups and we get we get a distorted sense of parenting. There are 18 million children in the U.S. alone, two to four years old. So the idea that you would be a carbon copy of anybody is ridiculous. You know, that the idea that every child's going to do this the same way, 18 million kids doing this the same way. No, that many parents who have their own shit going on, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, thank you for your yeah. time, Jenna. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Jamie. It's been lovely to talk to you. Okay, bye, guys. As always, rock on. Hope this was helpful.